Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 641 with a review of Hillbilly Elegy. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. Um, this week in the feeds, we already had a review of Happiest Season, so you can check that out uh, right before this episode. And now we're talking about the latest uh, film that landed on Netflix this past weekend, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, this is based on uh, the memoir, the book uh, by J.D. Vance. Um, yeah. Stephen, did you by any chance read uh, the book that this is based on? I did, yeah. Uh, the book was not great. Um, <laughs> was not like at the time. I think I felt fine with it. Like I think on Goodreads, I gave it like two and a half out of five or whatever. Um, but it was, it was just like a. There was so much hype around this book as it being like a meaningful exploration of what it's like to, you know, live, not necessarily as a hillbilly, but like the lower class white people in like middle america like how where they might get anger from like it it was pitched at the time as being like why did people vote for trump read this book and you'll understand like this is the first person narrative about like how people learn to feel hopelessness um and the book just didn't justify any of that hype at all i thought it was like a completely middling memoir about a guy who is not as close to the source material as he tries to make it sound when he pitches the book. Like, let me tell you what life is like in Appalachia. Family matters a lot. Um, people shoot guns. Um, personal responsibility. <laughs> like, it, it It was just very cheap. And I feel like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was not a... I almost started ranting about the movie already, but we're just talking about the book. Um... <laughs> And I read the book before realizing that J.D. Vance is like a conservative think tank, like douchebag, too. Uh, so I disliked him even more later. But yeah, I thought the book was kind of not worth not worth your time. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's somehow it blew up. And it, and I mean, I also don't want to talk about the movie too soon, but it definitely feels like this film is getting made not on the merits of what the book presented as narrative, but on the fact that this became such a big seller and was mm-hmm. like widely talked about, it was it, like it seems like this this film is a a crime of opportunity. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. a good way to say it. Um, like somebody bought up the rights for something that uh, was was selling like hotcakes at the time and thought like, well, you know what, we could make a movie out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then for some reason, the movie took way too long to get made apparently because however relevant it felt in that moment when everyone wanted to understand middle america i feel like the moment passed by 2020 yeah well the good news is they could probably start selling it again now because (laughs) it almost became relevant again (laughs) yep uh but anyways what do you say steven we get into what i'm sure will be a lively review of hillbilly elegy uh let's do it after i say that if you want to read a book about like the roots of white male rage in middle america read the topeka school by ben lerner again it's like a hundred thousand times better than the hillbilly elegy and it just came out last year so book recommendation corner (laughs) (laughs) the the one thing i will say about the title of the film hillbilly elegy is the longer this episode goes 
And the more we potentially drink, the harder it will become to say the title of this film. Yep. We, we are <laughs> drinking moonshine, by the way. We should make that clear. <laughs> Woo-wee! Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, before, <laughs> before I just say something I'm not going to be able to take back, what do you say we listen to the trailer for Hillbilly Elegy and then we come back and give everyone a review? Let's do it. Well, I thought your mama was going to be all right. <laughs> be happy. I know I could have done better. But you, you got to decide. You want to be somebody or not. I've been doing real good. I just had a down month. I got an interview tomorrow, Mom. Otherwise, I... Oh, you know me. I always land on my feet. Don't look at that. Come on. Come on. Don't you look at me. You look at me. You let her get away with this every time. I told you that I would do better. You always say that. You're lying. I always try. You got to think about these kids. What do you think I've been thinking about since I was 18 years old, huh? Never had a life where I wasn't thinking about the kids. Do you actually want to be dead, Mom? Or are you just too lazy to try? Oh, I tried. Plenty. You've always got a reason. It's always someone else's fault. Some point, you're going to have to take responsibility. Or someone else what? is going to have to step in. Who? Ha, who? You? Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> How many times have you seen this? Oh, about a hundred. Everyone in this world is one of three kinds. Good Terminator, a bad Terminator, and neutral. You're a good Terminator. Well, I wasn't always. I had to learn. You could do. I love you. I promise that I'm going to do better. Candy, you got a right to your own life. Don't make us your excuse, JD. Family's the only thing that means a goddamn. You'll learn it. All right, so that was the trailer for Hillbilly Elegy. Um, it is a story of, uh, it's a true life story of a man by the name of J.D. Vance, um, who one day was, um, you know, getting ready for his next semester at Yale and uh, trying to figure out how he's going to pay for it. And then uh, all of a sudden he gets a call from back home and there's an issue with his mother and something's happened with her and he's got to travel back 10 hours in his car and uh, over the course of this traveling, remembers that he used to be a hillbilly. <laughs> And that's the movie. Stephen Miller, <laughs> what did you think of Hillbilly Elegy? Um, I, I think it was really inspiring that they got Glenn Close to play Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> in a nice homage <laughs> to, uh, to Robin Williams. Are uh, you looking at the still image for the trailer on IMDb yeah. right now? Is that where you... <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I could 100% see it. <laughs> um, I think... I think, like, it was Chop Out Trap House that was, like, ribbing on this movie, like, a week or two ago, riffing on the movie. <laughs> and they were saying, 
the movie feels like a shitty essay for JD's internship interview, which is like, here are all the things I learned from my Appalachian heritage. The end. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. I wish this movie felt that way. This movie Mm -hmm. doesn't even fucking do that. Like in any other version of this movie that we would have watched, it would have been like, I don't know how I'm going to get into Yale. And then he writes an essay about how hard it was for him to grow up as a hillbilly (laughs) and Mm -hmm. how even though he grew up in that environment with so many struggles against him, he still pushed so hard and got here. And then somebody would send him an acceptance letter and be like, you made it in. We're just so, we're just so proud of you for like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and welcome to Yale. But that's not what this movie is. This he's already at Yale (laughs) and he goes back for a weekend, a day and then he shows up for a meeting the next day and the credits roll in this movie. Yeah. And there is no, there, nothing about this, him thinking back over three generations of his life, like the IMDb description says, is consequential at all in any way to his modern moment in time where he doesn't live in that town anymore. Like other films would be, how did this guy escape that life? How did he get out of right. that town? Like so many indie films we watch are all about some guy like, I need to get out of this town. I want to go become a writer. I want to go become a lawyer. I want to go become a doctor. I want to get out of this town and just become something. And this film is like, no, he's out of this town. He's just trying to figure out where he's going to work and how he's going to pay for the continuing college. But he has been completely disconnected from his family. And then he just goes back and sees it and goes like, yep, yeah, now I remember why I didn't want to be here anymore. And then he drives back. And that's not... That's not even a story. Like, if this book wasn't a New York Times best-selling memoir, this film would never, ever, ever have been picked up because the script is nothing and there's not even a film here. Sorry. Anyways, right. what were you saying, Stephen? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, uh, you took the wind out of my sails. I, like, I agree with you 100%. The real problem of this movie is that it's based on a memoir by a guy who... I'm not going to say he has nothing to say. Like, and anyone's life story, you know, is interesting. There's plenty to talk about. But he is trying to fit his life story to a narrative that it doesn't earn. Like, the the book feels like this movie in the sense that it's a big, fat, uh, I don't know. Like, it's trying to sound like it is building to a thing, but it doesn't actually have any conclusions to draw. And... That is obvious immediately in this movie. Like, the first thing he says in this movie is, like, I may be from Ohio, but I never felt more at home than when I was back in Appalachia. And then it cuts to him getting beat up for being from Ohio <laughs> and not from Appalachia. Like, this guy, it it's like his version of Stolen Valor is, like, pretending to be a hillbilly, but he, like, isn't a hillbilly. Like, he wasn't at home there. Like, the kids hated him there. He didn't fit in at all. Yeah. Um, and like what this movie really is, if it wanted to be, is a movie about how hard it is growing up with a drug addicted parent like that. Like that. That could be the story. You know, that that is a thing that is recurring in his life. It doesn't yeah. have much to do with his grandma, doesn't have much to do with Appalachia, and it doesn't generalize to a political movement the same way. But like it, th- there's plenty that it could be. But instead, the movie is just the big problem of this movie to me, it is not the two main performances. I think Glenn Close, despite my um, Mrs. Doubtfire joke, like I think she does really well with what she's being asked to do in this movie. Amy Adams, I don't love her here, but I, I, I think a movie that edited 
better you would like her performance it just like this pushes it too far and because the narrative doesn't serve it she feels a little bit too like weepy melodrama um but like they're both fine they're they're both in a much better movie than this is because this is anchored by fucking jd who is like a complete wet blanket like there's no anything to identify with or recommend himself he's just this guy who every good thing in his life the movie skips over like you said like he is already at yale he has already broken free you know he's already worked with senators and all this other stuff the movie doesn't talk about and this is all oh fuck my mom is gonna make me waste 36 hours of my life to deal with this what am i gonna do and the answer is like nothing <laughs> like that's the answer yeah. <laughs> like, it, it isn't gonna change anything and the big lesson that you learn in this movie is like just keep looking out for yourself because you can't fix other people. And I don't even know. I don't even know what this movie is about. And I think that is what's so strange is this. This isn't a horrible movie in the sense of like, oh, here's the really bad thing about it. Here's the atrocious thing about it. It's like a a nothing movie. And that's almost yeah. more insulting to me. Like nothing matters in this movie nothing happens nothing is holding scenes together the it tries to be very true to life with like observations and some are accurate like uh he uses saxon math books in this movie which is a very specific detail that like i totally can <laughs> identify with um like particular like young you know conservative whatever like it's a specific thing uh but for every one of those there's things like being at a Yale law school dinner and not knowing what red wine or white wine are like you're at fucking Yale. Like you've drank wine already. Like why, yeah. why are you condescending to us to make it seem like, Oh, you're so befuddled. Cause you're a hillbilly. Like you're not a fucking hillbilly. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know that that's what I found really frustrating about this movie is it feels like it is pathologizing the people in JD's life. And it is trying to him have him say, this is who we are. Let me tell you who we are. But there's no we there. Like, it, it's not him learning to empathize with these people or him being one of them. It's him separating himself completely from his family and then using them to have, like, a, a bestseller. Like, that's how it feels. Like, and... Yeah, that it just really the movie really bothered me for that reason because it and the movie takes away the political edge that the book at least had a hint of like by the way I'm like a hardcore Republican and this is all about picking yourself up by your bootstraps and you know so, uh, personal responsibility and are you too lazy to try and that shit and like this movie doesn't want to be that either because it's a Hollywood movie so it's just a nothing just a nothing movie and it really sucks. <laughs> here's the thing about the picking yourself up by your bootstraps uh, thing. So I didn't I didn't read the book, so I don't know what his actual arguments or evidence that he did pick himself up by his bootstraps. But according to the text of this film, the way he escaped Appalachia was to join the military and the military mm -hmm. got him literally out because he got <laughs> sent to Iraq and Afghanistan. And then after that, he was able to finish school um, through the military and then that's when he transferred to Yale or whatever. Um, and I think that, like, really, that's that's all he ever did was was join the military. Like, I, I joked in our last episode, um, our review of Happiest Season, that this film's thesis is basically said by Glenn Close when she says, like, hey, being smart only gets you the chance. 
you have to do the work, you have to try and you have to keep trying until you get there. But like, there's no example in this film. This is a film about him remembering his past. And never once does he choose to remember a time where he tried and did anything there. Like literally the only time he even puts any effort into anything at all is when he sees his grandmother have to split a meals on wheels with him because she spent money on a calculator for him. And then he's like, right. Oh shit. And then he cleans up all the garbage and does his homework that he was, he hadn't even opened that goddamn calculator, but, <laughs> but like he sees this one act of kindness and he's like, Oh, I get it. I got to try now. And then he's in Yale because <laughs> all you got to do is mm-hmm. clean up the trash and do your math homework and that'll get you to Yale. Um, yeah. But yeah, we don't it, even really learn why he's in, yeah, yeah, like what he's good at. Because the only time in the like in the movie he's a klutz, he just like fucks things up over and over again. <laughs> and then one time, a teacher says like, "Oh, you're failing, but I know you're smarter than this." <laughs> like that. That's like the closest we get to learning that he's good at something is a teacher saying, "I know you're a fuck up, but I believe you have potential." <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think really. You know, I, I, I said this already, that I think that there is no story here. And the only reason we're even watching this film is because the book sold a lot of copies. And I don't think any, like, there, there are some things where, like, there is an obscure book that somebody found, and they just thought the story was amazing, and they wanted to turn it into this film. This was just like, hey, this film will have name recognition. We can make people watch it. Um, why don't we buy the rights and make a film out of it? Um, but there's nothing here. And I think that, like... For a film, like anytime he's flashing back, I never see the connection to why he's flashing back. And there, there, there are a couple, there, there are kind of two ways you can do this present moment and past moment sort of thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to, to reference these two films, which are like the polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think this film fails to do either of those things. Um, so the first one, which is kind of a funny comparison because uh, the love interest in this film is also the love interest in that film. And that's to compare this to Slumdog mm. Millionaire, which is a story yeah. in which a person is competing in a game. And every time he's asked a question, he flashes back to a time through chance events. He's able to gain the knowledge he needs to answer that question in the present. That is one way you can do this story, right? He is trying to work his way through these interviews in Yale. And you could ask, you could have the Yale guys, whatever they're called, <laughs> the, the, the Yale duders could ask him specific questions. And his answer could be this profound thing that came from him remembering the struggle he went through with his mother. Yeah, like he's nervous at the interview and then suddenly it cuts back to his mama saying like, don't be a little sissy boy or something in that <laughs> Yeah, and then he goes, don't be a sissy boy. And the guy goes, what? And he's like, nothing. The answer to your question is, I love America. And he's like, that sounds good. You're in Yale. Um, like, So that is one way to do it, right? The other thing to do, which this film also doesn't do, is a little film that we saw at Tribeca a few years back called All These Small Moments. Mm-hmm. That is a film that goes, wait, literally take the title and all these small insignificant moments can feel like this immense thing that happened to you that completely defines who you are are as a person. And if you looked at them on the page, what happened? Oh, literally nothing fucking happened. But those things meant so much to you and defined who you are as a man now. 
This film isn't interested in doing that either, right? It could look back and like, oh, that time I got beat up in the water, that made me not trust groups of guys with their shirts off. And like, you know, like there, there is, there is no That's time. That's why I never got into Skull and Bones Yeah. <laughs> But like, there's no time where he is looking back at the past and being like, wow, at the time, this seemed like such an insignificant thing, but it turned out to like, make me think of things different. Like, there's no, there's no connection to anything. This feels like two distinctly separate parts of a man's life. And he's, he's, he's not flashing back because it's a memory he's fond of, or he's, he's, he's happy to feel that moment now, or he's learning from it. He just literally had to go home because of something that happened with his mother and he's just flashing back to a similar type of thing that happened before at the very best this film is offering is this is an isolated incident mm-hmm. but like what does that do for his character absolutely nothing and i think that this film like i i was already watching this film like 45 minutes in just rolling my eyes waiting for the scene where he turns any of these flashbacks um, into a profound statement that makes somebody at Yale think he's smart. And right an hour after that, <laughs> where we get to the scene where it should happen, the guy goes, um, J.D. Vance? And he goes, that's me, sir. And then he sits down and he goes, welcome back. And he goes, thanks. And then the credits roll. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you, you did not make me sit here for this long for you to just end your damn movie with nothing learned and nothing profound and nothing to show for the work I just put in to watch this thing. Like I, I was actively upset when the credits rolled. I almost wanted to throw my iPad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it builds to nothing. It, it doesn't, none of it is anything, even things that should feel meaningful, like his relationship with his mom, with Amy Adams character. There are like motifs that recur in this movie about their relationship, you know, like gestures they she makes. And there's no evolution in this movie to his relationship with her. There's no there's no anything. Like what it shows at the very beginning is the exact same relationship he will have at the end when he's learning to righteously abandon her to go do his internship interview. Like yeah. like there <laughs> there's nothing it it's a movie that like it it plays as if it were very heartfelt and telling something profound about what life is like or what growing up is like. But then when you like just look at it a little deeper, it isn't saying anything like nothing is changing from the beginning to the end. And I am OK with movies where nothing changes if they try to be slice of life and just like let me live with these people for a while. But these aren't people like they never play as if they were real people with real details like the Ron Howardisms are all over this movie. Like early on, <laughs> there's a drive that um, uh, Mama and Papa are, are making <laughs> with the family back to Ohio. And like they pass a what used to be a factory. And there's like a cut to a memory of this factory being there. And then it cuts to the present and the factory is not there. And you just look at like Papa looking sad. And it's just like, okay, this this is the <laughs> level we're dealing with is like Papa is sad because the factory ain't here no more. <laughs> like, yeah, all right, well. great. I really, I really understand now. Um, I, I've just gotten a really heartfelt look at like, you know, what blue collar life is like in America because Papa is sad about the factory shutting down. <laughs> yeah. like, it, I don't know. It just feels like such a sketch of a movie and it, 
the combination of it feeling like a sketch, but then playing as a like big budget prestige picture is just so bizarre to me. Yeah. And, and I think too, if I can compare it to a third film, like the mother's problems with drugs never feel, they never feel real or authentic to me. And they don't feel like there isn't something that's like, he shows up because she had a thing happen to her surrounding drug use. Um, and like, obviously that's a sad thing and you can empathize with like, Oh shit, this happened to mom. We got to go see her. She's in the hospital right now. Like that is a sad situation, but like the way she is constantly like the way they show her constantly relapse feels like, I I don't know how to explain it, but like it just, it reminds me even more how great I thought beautiful boy was (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. I think that film really nailed how somebody can sink all of themselves into trying to help somebody who will not help themselves. And instead, this is just give Amy Adams a bunch of opportunities to scream and yell and say like, no, I want drugs. Um, If I can, I'm going to spoil a minor thing. um, And Mm. you can, you can do the call whether or not I bleep it out. Um, But there, there is a fucking scene in this movie where he has just picked her up from, I think, from jail or from somewhere, somewhere where she has no access to anything. She is locked in this place. He picks her up. He drives her to a motel and he goes, OK, I'm going to get us food. I'll be right back. Keep in mind, she has just come from being locked up. She has no possessions, no money, no anything. She's just in this room. He goes to get burgers and he comes back and she's shooting heroin between her toes. Where did she get that heroin from? I know. I know in Appalachia, everybody can just get it on every corner, but she didn't have money to buy it, right? <laughs> right? Like, where did she just get this heroin to start shooting up in her toe? Like, and it's just, it's like, I, we get it. She's relapsing instantaneously and she'll never get better. Mm. But there is a better way to show that. Maybe he has a little medicine toiletry bag and she's like popping pills. For, like, you could do something that actually makes sense, not have her yeah. like manifest heroin out of nowhere just to have a scene where he can like break the needle and flush it down the toilet. And I, and I think that like that, those scenes don't, they don't feel real and they don't mean anything to me when I watch it. Cause I'm like, no, I get it. Like she's really likes heroin and she's going to not stay in the ho- motel because she likes heroin. What's next? And, right. and I just think this film doesn't know how to present this stuff in a way that makes me go like, oh, I can see the sacrifices guy's making because we know all along he's going to drive back to Yale because <laughs> he's constantly trying to figure out the question is, will he make it in time? Right. It's not will he decide not to go. It's will he make it in time? And I just I oh, found will it, he get his internship so he can work for Peter Thiel two years later. <laughs> the true thing that happened. <laughs> the, so. The the other funny thing about like this this isn't really super consequential but it's just a funny thing in my head that uh, that I was thinking. So the scene this film opens um, with him looking at the bill for the next semester of Yale, which comes out to roughly twenty seven thousand dollars for the semester. The woman he's talking to, he's like, "Can you just help me out?" She's like, "Hey, look, if you get this job, sounds like you're probably gonna, because you seem like a fine, upstanding young man who isn't a hillbilly. Um, just know that you're gonna make thirty-three thousand dollars for the semester or the year or whatever, so you'll totally be able to pay for it, right?" 
he definitely spends the difference between 33 and 27 on yep. a living arrangement for his mother and and she probably won't stay there <laughs> like, right so it was just it was just an ironic like how did those numbers happen to line up like once he started going like 500 on this one a thousand on this one 500 on this one a thousand i was like huh? One plus two plus one plus two. <laughs> like, I was like, wait a second. Isn't this, isn't he just burning all the extra cash he was going to use to try to pay for this next semester at Yale? What's going on here? Yeah. The, so the beautiful boy comparison is a really good one because when I said before, like, what what is the message of this movie? I said very, you know, nonchalantly, like, it's for him to stop caring about his mom so he can go to Yale. But, and like, that plays terribly in this movie. But to your point, Beautiful Boy is an example of how a movie can be about how you sink so much into trying to save someone and ultimately maybe you realize that they have to save themselves and you can only be there and be ready to help them when they want help, you know? Like, yeah. there is a way to do that in, like, a nuanced, meaningful way that would ring true. And what annoys me so much about this movie is it simultaneously plays as if JD is making the ultimate sacrifice for his mother because, you know, family is the strongest thing we have and he's a proud hillbilly and like this is who he is. But then like the movie doesn't actually have him sacrifice at all. And it, it's this like really annoying middle ground where it wants to have its cake and eat it too. And I, I, I really, really, really dislike that because it, it, it really makes it feel like it is just a movie about how like, hey, look at what a fuck up my family is. I made it out the end you know yeah good on me for making it out i'm not gonna tell you how i just like be amazed that i made it out and assume that i helped them and i must have sacrificed a lot in the process the end yeah and that's the thing is he had already made it out <laughs> this isn't a story about how can he make it out this is a story about having made it out what does he do if his mom ends up in the hospital <laughs> yeah and it's also it's also kind of a for a film whose message is you need to do the work so that you can get yourself there. This film definitely wants you to believe that he could potentially decide not to do the work in, in like exchange for trying to help his family. But due to like the, the, the visual text of the film, I never believe, I never believe it's him sacrificing. It feels like it's him thinking he can't make it anyways so saying, well, since I can't make it, I might as well stay and help my family. It's like he's willing, mm -hmm. he's, not, he's not willing to give up on his dream because he believes family is more important. He thinks his dream is never going to happen. So he's like, well, should I just help them since it's never going to happen anyways? It's like, it's, it, which is like, it just makes you fail on both sides of the message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it comes down to he's just a punchable dude. <laughs> like, like, I just didn't <laughs> like him. Yeah. I agree. But, I mean, now that he's all grown up, I mean, those kids at the lake probably wouldn't mess with him now, right? <laughs> right. He can just be helping turtles all day long. Uh, any last thoughts on this film, Steven? Mm, I don't think I believe that a bunch of people at Yale when they learn that you're from Ohio, but your family's from Kentucky will like awkwardly smirk and make jokes like at the table. I feel like that whole idea is really 
dumb. Like, there's plenty of Southern people, like, who, who make it into politics and law and stuff like that. So that, that's just another thing that from the get-go I, I didn't buy, and it annoyed me, that it's like he's scanning the room and looking at all these awkward looks he's getting because he revealed that he's like from Kentucky. Yeah. Like, give, give me a fucking break. Also on a similar note, I, so I've never, I've never been to Yale or any of these type of colleges where I have to go to dinners and convince people that I'm worth going to their school. But I feel like if all you did was walk into a room and ask to sit next to the guy who works in DC who you only even want to be working for him because your girlfriend has a job in DC next semester. You didn't even get to have a conversation with that guy because you fucked it up real fast, quite early. How does that guy even know your name <laughs> and remember you enough to like, like that's the thing is like, like when he gets a call and he's like, Oh, I, I got a call back. I can go back to, I'm like, what are they calling him back for exactly? Like, is this, I, I didn't understand the whole conceit of what that dinner was supposed to be. And like, I assume it's like speed dating for people that work at firms and shit like that. But it just seems I weird. Mean, I'm guessing it's even dumber. I'm guessing it's like he applied and this is just like, like the cherry on top. Like Gossip Girl has a similar thing in one of the <laughs> early episodes where it's like you get to schmooze with the heads of the private schools. But like you already applied to school. This is just meant to give you a little bit more oomph in your application. And like his whole drama in this movie is that like this dinner that could have maybe given him more oomph in his application to this internship didn't go over well. Like it's stupid. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) The The only other thing I couldn't help but think about is when he's like struggling over which fork to use, I was just thinking of, of like, like the amount of, startup lunches and dinners we've had in like a place where we probably should have been dressed nicer <laughs> and eating better yeah. and we were like fuck it <laughs> this is startup culture we don't do also, shit and at, as someone who many times in his life has held up his fingers to remember which way left is like i, I can appreciate <laughs> those little mnemonic devices but why would you need a trick to know where the drink and the bread are? Like you didn't set the table. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. they just go where they are. <laughs> You're like, oh, I had my hands backwards and I tried to drink the bread and eat the, eat the glass. <laughs> uh, I just think we're not we're not cut out for Yale, Stephen. That's that's the real truth behind. Yeah. That's what I learned from watching this film. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie would be better if it was called Howdy Yale. <laughs> Uh, if my mic wasn't connected to a boom arm, I'd drop it for you. <laughs> mm. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think we, we still got to do verdicts, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, record with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I must avoid. <laughs> I think, again, I, I don't think this movie is like terrible in the standard way of like cringy acting or terribly made or a lot of the things that would typically define a terrible movie what it is is lackluster to the point of being insulting like that that's what i feel is this movie is a whole lot of prestige oscar feeling without any substance behind it at all and 
that sucks because there are actresses here doing what would be fantastic work in a movie that deserved them. And instead they're building it towards absolutely nothing. And so that just sucks. Like there, there's no reason to watch this movie. It is probably going to get nominated for things because of the work of its cast. I don't know if I agree or disagree with that because I don't know how to separate what they're doing from the fact that the movie just completely <laughs> wastes them. Um, and yeah, I would have rather seen something like spectacularly fail than this, where it feels like it, it is trying so hard to feel like it's saying kind of something, but it doesn't want to be specific because it wants to be heartwarming to everybody. It just like, it winds up being nothing. And that to me, that's just like the worst kind of movie. Yeah, uh, this is a must avoid for me as well. I actively dislike this film. Um, I I kept having some connectivity issues as I was watching it. And whenever it paused, I could see how much time was left. And I was always taken aback by how much time was still there. And then this film ends without like all the stuff that would have theoretically made it worth watching all this crap. Um, so I just, I, I really... I really dislike this film and I don't think you should watch it. And if I had a better, like I would avoid this, like a pig avoids getting clean or something, then I would say it. But I got no, I got no Appalachian quotes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't piss on this movie's ass if it was on fire. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we'll go with that one. Um, but uh, yeah, let's just hope that this doesn't turn out to be another green book. <laughs> mm hmm. Uh, yeah i did <laughs> so in in the uh the end credits they do the thing where they show little video clips of the real people that the movie's based on yeah and it is kind of impressive how much they made glenn close look like mama because they totally didn't have to because nobody but jd knows what she looked like yeah um, but that was kind of uncanny yep well I think uh, I think that's gonna be, <laughs> about do it for a review of Hillbilly Elegy. Um, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com/sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. Uh, people can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com/christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com, where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Um, if you want to know the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoiler warning, facebook.com slash the spoiler warning, or instagram.com slash the spoiler warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at the spoiler or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Hillbilly Elegy, so hopefully you are enjoying that. And uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Um, in the next coming weeks, there's going to be like a torrent of things that, not a literal torrent, we're going to be watching them all legally. Yeah. But there will, be, there will be a flood of things for us to watch. Um, so we'll have a lot of reviews coming at you as we head into the end of the year. And uh, we'll do another yearly recap, which will be weird in this, this year. I think this, this might end up being like one of the years where we have the most non-over... Not, not necessarily non-overlap right. of it, things, but like... It, things it isn't that, obvious what the consensus should be. Yeah, yeah. And just in general, I think there's a lot of things that like we may have watched independently of each other because we weren't doing a review of it um, that the other person may not have seen. So it could be a uh, it could be a really interesting um, thing, or it could be all of us having hillbilly elegy number one to number ten. Um, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it could, Stephen. Mathematically, it could, it could possibly right. happen. 
You're right. I'm not going to say it won't happen. <laughs> I'd be surprised. <laughs> You're really surprised if you did it. Like, what the hell? Uh, anyways, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, take care. And uh, remember, got to try. Got to try hard. Being smart only gets yeah. partway there. Gives you chances. You got to mm. try. Yeah. Got to take those chances. And then yep. you got to pull that ladder up from behind you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Bye. Bye.